This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. What is prayer other than a conversation that we're having uh, with the Creator God? Uh, This God invites us into relationship uh, with himself through his son Jesus, and he wants to be in conversation with us. He wants to know about what it is that we're facing and challenging. And of course, we know that God knows all that. He knows what we're dealing with. He knows the struggle. But when we share it with him and we talk with him, then we grow in our understanding of who he is. We grow in our intimacy and our connection and our relationship with God. So that's one aspect of prayer that we've been talking about. So how do we uh, get more connected to this God. But the other aspect of prayer that we've talked a lot about too is this kingdom-oriented prayer of intercession, where we're asking God to do that which he says is just, is right, is good, that his glory would be revealed in the world, that, that uh, the, the wounds of the brokenhearted would be bound up, that, that people would be cared for, that people would come to faith, and, and even in miraculous and radical ways. We're asking God to, to do those things, and that's a prayer of obedience too. So in part, we grow in our connection with the Lord, but in part, we're called to wrestle with God and to ask him to say, Lord, we we know you want a just society. We know you want there to be peace and hope. And so when we pray for those things, we're praying in line with the word of God. And then often he uses us to, to be the ones to accomplish those things through our acts of love and mercy and service. And so, and the great thing about this is that when we pray to God for these things, we, we get God. We get a greater understanding of his sovereign purposes in the world. And while there are tough things that we face, we realize that God is tougher, right? There are challenges that we experience, but, but God is bigger than all of those challenges. God is stronger and wiser and more powerful. So whenever he calls, you've got to answer. <laughs> By the way, I did set my watch so it should not be going off during the sermon like it did last week. And here's the thing about the scriptures is that it's just a big book of prayers uh, and the church is at its best uh, when we're when we're praying. So uh, if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter four, verses two through six. This is the word of God. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Lord, thank you for your word and for this reminder of what we're called to do as your people. Give us the, the ability to hear what you're saying, but also the confidence and the courage to obey what it is that you're asking of us. We, we know, Lord, that there is blessing in obedience And we're asking you to reveal to us who we are, who you are, and what it is we should do in light of both of those realities. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, There's a guy named Bill Walton, and he's a pretty good basketball player. 
He played for uh, a, a team in Southern California, UCLA, and they were undefeated. Uh, they won the, the national championship a bunch of times uh, in a great stretch of basketball. And then he played uh, in Portland, and he played in, for the Celtics, and you may know him now as an announcer. So he had to be, in order to be as accomplished as he is, despite the fact that he's probably seven feet tall, he had to be really committed to learning how to shoot and dribble and pass and play um, as a teammate. He had to be really devoted. But did you know that he also has seen over 850 Grateful Dead shows? The band The Grateful Dead, 850 shows. He is a devoted deadhead. Now, I haven't ever seen one, uh, so I'm, I'm way down on the list. But what, that, that takes a level of commitment, don't you think? 850 times, right? They don't just play in Southern California where he lives. They play all over the country. So you've got to make arrangements. You've got to make plans. You've got to buy airplane tickets. You've got to buy the tickets to the show. You've got to get a hotel room. You've got to stand outside with deadheads for hours. You have to be committed. You have to be devoted. You have to order your life around that in some way. Now, you can make a determination as to whether or not you think that is a worthy endeavor in which to be devoted. I'm not going to make a judgment on that. But here's what Paul is saying to us this morning about prayer. He's calling us to be devoted to something important as well. What does he say in verse 2? Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. The first thing Paul says to us at the end of his letter to the church in Colossae is, be devoted to what? Be devoted to basketball? Be devoted to working? Be devoted to Grateful Dead shows? Be devoted to prayer is what he's saying. That means to continue steadfastly in prayer. Make it a priority in your life. Don't neglect it. Believe in it. Persevere in it. Because there are those times and seasons when you can fall away from it. But he says, take every opportunity to devote yourselves. Right? Just like Bill Walton had to make plans to organize his life around something that he was passionate about and committed to, so too we ought to then be committed to something that I think was even greater and more worthwhile. We should order our life and order our time and our schedule and what we do around something that is significant. Why do we do this? Because prayer is powerful. It is something that aligns our lives to the God of the universe. It aligns our heart and our will we know that God answers our prayers. He doesn't do it always in the way that we would anticipate, but we know that he answers us. You've had answers to prayer. You've experienced that. We know that it affects the world around us because we're doing what? We're engaging in conversation with the God of the universe who actually can hear what we're saying and do something about it. So he says, be devoted to prayer, being watchful and Thankful. Two different aspects of how we ought to be devoted in prayer. Watchful and thankful. What does watchful mean? It means to be alert, to be wakeful, to be diligent. He's writing this letter to a church that is facing a number of different kinds of temptations. So if you, if you study the, the letter from Paul to the church in Colossus, there's, there's two main areas of temptation that they're facing. One is to kind of live into the thought process of the way of the world. Uh, to give into this uh, temptation uh, that they would uh, be able to trust in the elemental principles of the world. 
the worldly way of living. The other temptation that they could fall into is, is living according to the law, to justify themselves by the law, right? One is the, the pagan way of living, and one is the, the Jewish way of living. And Paul has been praying for them already. In chapter 1, he says that they, he asked that they would have to be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. They would have endurance and patience. Paul has been praying that they would live out the glory of Jesus that he has been explaining to them throughout this entire letter. Jesus, the one who reigns over all. Because as I mentioned, uh, one temptation is to live according to the gods of the world that promise pleasure and happiness and significance but never really deliver. Instead of bringing joy, these gods enslave and they ruin our lives with endless pursuits that don't amount to anything. Another temptation for us is to live according to the rules, this moralistic framework that we create. I, I read uh, recently a guy, he was saying that he has a friend who scolds him about his use of the environment and his abuse of creation, but he resists a biblical sexual ethic. So in one area, he says, this is how the world works and you should obey the rules this way. But over here, those rules don't apply to me. So he has a set of rules. He's just picking and choosing which ones he chooses to, to value. In truth, we have a set of rules that we live by. And we are upset when the people around us don't follow the rules as we understand them. Now, for us who are following Jesus, increasingly, uh, the rules that we seek to live by, of course, always as a response to what God has done, should be directed and governed by the scriptures. When we say, what is a just society? What is good that brings flourishing? We should say, it's the Bible and what it teaches about who we are and about what creates justice in the world around us. See, the gospel reminds us that God has created a moral vision for the world. That moral vision is revealed through his law, but there's no one, none of us, no mere man since the fall has been able to keep the law of God perfectly except Jesus. And because he has kept the law perfectly, we trust in him, but then we can follow his law. And so praying in a watchful way guards us against throwing off the law of God or trying to be justified by the law of God. Praying alertly helps us to see the temptation we all have to create our own law. And it reveals to us what it means to live under grace, under the goodness of God's law. So that's what praying watchfully means. What does praying thankfully mean? It means all of our prayers will have a spirit of gratitude. We think of Paul who is praying for them. Where is he writing this letter from? He's in jail. He's asking for prayer while he is in chains. In fact, it's because of the gospel that he's in chains. And so instead of being bitter about the chains, he's thankful. He could be complaining and writing his letter. He's only got so much ink and so much paper. He could be just saying, hey, look, this is what you need to do to get me out of here. Get me a better attorney because the one that I have isn't doing the right thing or make an appeal to the judge or make an appeal to the city. But what does he do? He offers his thankfulness, thankfulness to be in relationship with them, 
Thankfulness to be in relationship with God. His thankfulness comes through even in the midst of the difficulty. You know, my, my favorite example of, of thankfulness, I think, and I've shared this with you a number of times, but it just always, the Lord brings it up to my mind, is the thankfulness of Corrie Ten Boom, uh, who was a woman who was imprisoned for housing Jews uh, in her home. And she and her family uh, and her sister Betsy were in prison, and they ended up having to go to a concentration camp, and they got into the worst concentration camp of the ones in the whole camp because it was infested with fleas. But Betsy said to, to Corey, she said, you know, we're supposed to be thankful for everything, so I want you to say, thank God for the fleas. And Corey said, I just couldn't do it. I can't do it. I can't thank God for the fleas. But, but um, Betsy said, we have to. So Corey said, thank God for the fleas. And what they realized, though, is that because the barracks was infested with fleas, the guards stayed away. And so they had this time of sweet worship where the women in that barracks were able to praise God and to sing praises and to study the word. And so in despite of the difficult situations, it was a sanctuary for them. She was thanking God for the fleas. What are the fleas in your life? What's that difficult thing that you're facing right now? It's an irritation or it makes you angry or you feel resentment about. Have you ever said, thank you, God, for this thing? Thank you, Lord, for this hardship. Thank you, Lord, for this struggle that I'm facing because I know that in your sovereign plan that you are with me and it's made me dependent upon you. It's helped me to see that I can't solve the problems of the world and it's made me more trusting in you. Maybe God wants us to see the hardship as Paul sees the hardship as an opportunity to give him thanks. So what can you pray for and thank God for? What are the fleas in your life that you can thank God for. Secondly, Paul says that our prayer should be bold. Look at the next few verses. He says, and pray for us too that God would open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Here's the Apostle Paul, the greatest church planter ever, who is praying that he would have an open door and that he would proclaim the message of the gospel in a clear manner. He wants an open door for the message to proclaim. What does it mean to proclaim? It's to announce. It's to tell about. It's to report. And what is Paul reporting on? He's responding and communicating about the good news. The good news, the, the euangelion, the, the evangel news, the good news that Jesus is Lord, that he has conquered sin and death. He's not telling people about a system of rules. He's announcing what God has done to conquer sin and death. And certainly he was a preacher and he would get up and he probably had his notes written on papyrus and he would make presentations. But that's not the only way that he's talking about proclaiming the good news. Right? How else does he say? We, we live the good news out with our lives, with our actions, with our words, with the, the way that we react with people in our neighborhood, in our family, in our office, at the store. We are proclaiming the good news all the time. We have the opportunity. He says, make the most of every opportunity. So we're, we're to pray that, Lord, you would give me an opportunity. I don't think Mr. Russell was thinking, Lord, I'm so glad that my air conditioner broke that I have to talk to an air conditioner salesman. However, when one comes, I'm going to talk to him about sacrifices in the New Testament. <laughs> right? What a great little witness right there. Something difficult happens. You're not excited about it, but then someone comes across your path. And we pray 
that God would give us an open door. Are you ready to open the door? Are we praying that everyone that we encounter would be open to hear what God has to say? And listen, some people are going to be open and some people are not going to be open, and that's okay. If the door is not open, then you don't go. You don't just keep pounding and pounding and pounding. You just go to the next door. But we've got to be talking to people. We've got to be talking to them about what, what, we, what we know and love about the good news, this transformational life that God has given to us. And as we share with people and we learn about what's happening in their life and in their story, then, then the doors open. When you take an interest and you say, tell me about what's going on in your life. What challenges are you facing? I say, oh, you know, when I was growing up, I faced a similar challenge. Here's how God helped me. There's an open door. It's when we take interest. When I was in college, I told you I sold books door to door, right? So that was knocking on a lot of doors. We started out the summer with dreams of making thousands and thousands of dollars and winning uh, awards, big sales prizes. But then that first morning comes at 7.59 a.m., and there's the first door. You know, I got, what would I do if someone came to my door at 7.59 on, uh, on a Monday morning and said, hi, Mrs. Jones? I'd probably be upset. That first door was the hardest one to knock on, and the second one was hard. But after a while, you just start knocking on doors, and you start talking to people, and you realize that most people don't want to talk to you. And that's fine. But, you know, if I could present my books to 30 people in a day and I sold 10% of those, I'd make thousands of dollars in the summer. So you just kept knocking on doors. And it became a matter of just realizing I'm just finding the people who don't want them so that I can find the people who do. And part of our sharing our faith is simply just uh, casting out seeds and seeing who's open. And, And many people will not be open, but many people will. And it only takes a little conversation to see if the door opens and that we pray that God would open a door for our message. And then we also pray that that God would give us the courage to share it clearly as we should. You know what happens when you knock on doors? Your first presentation is so awkward and you're so nervous. And the first time you do it, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Do you feel that way about sharing the gospel? The first time you do it, you probably mess it up. It's probably, you don't have all of the right theological answers. But you know what? Is that okay? Say yes, somebody. It is okay. But we just keep sharing. We just keep testifying. And then over time, we get better at talking about it. We get better at discerning. Is this an open door or not? But it takes us being courageous and being willing to to love people enough to open, to see if the door is open. Because what we have Jesus is the most worthwhile thing in the entire world. It's worth more than anything. And if we commend it, if we cherish it, then we will commend it. And so when I think about this, uh, someone shared this with me, and this has been helpful, is I think about when I talk with someone, is, uh, is thinking about, is there an opportunity for me to get into a spiritual conversation with someone? Where we talk about faith in some way. But I don't start with, you know, hey, do you know Jesus? Have you heard of Jesus? That's pretty awkward, right? But so I just begin a casual conversation. You know, people talk about the weather, right? Oh, it's raining. Oh, it wasn't raining. It's really dry. Now, yeah. So you talk about the weather. Where are you from? Where'd you go to? Do you have a church home? Uh, Where'd you go to high school, right? Those questions. You start talking to people. So then you get into maybe a meaningful conversation. You know, this has been a challenging year, hasn't it? 
Have you been, what are the challenges that you face in your life, right? If there's an open door at casual, you go to meaningful, right? How are things going? Tell me about your family. Oh, that sounds like a hard thing. And then you can possibly go to a spiritual conversation. So casual, meaningful, spiritual. And then sometimes people are open to praying. You know, I've just said at Home Depot, you know, I know this is maybe awkward, but would it be okay if I prayed for you? And, you know, overwhelmingly, people say yes. Sometimes people say, no, I'm good. And you go, okay. But what a blessing it is. Because usually when people receive that prayer, by the end of the prayer, they're crying. Because someone said, I just want to pray for you. This is not, um, this is what you should do so you don't burn in hell. It's not, you better come to Woodland Presbyterian Church at 1030 next Sunday. It's, I'm taking an interest in you, and I want to encourage you in the way that I've been encouraged. And that feels scary to do. But you know when you do it? It's a blessing to see someone's heart touched, moved, that you would take an interest in them. And if they say no, they say no. So be bold. And finally, our prayer life should lead us to be wise. Be wise. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Outsiders meaning those people who aren't part of the family of faith, right? People who are not included in the covenant. They're not members of the family of faith. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, Right? Look, we, we have, if you've been a part of the church for any length of time, you know that not everybody in here agrees on everything. Right? Have you noticed that? I don't know if you noticed that or not. But not everybody in here agrees on everything. And that's fine. What we agree on is Jesus. And we all have differing views on what leads to flourishing and what we should be spending our time in. But we have Jesus. And When we have Jesus, we are willing to say, as a church, Jesus is the most important. So I can be in relationship with somebody who has a totally different view on what leads to flourishing in the world because I know they know Jesus and I know Jesus, and so we can be totally different. We can be on different ends of the political spectrum. We can be on different ends of all different things because we have Jesus together. And even though we disagree, we can work together to figure out how do we get along because they have something that I don't have, which is a different perspective. And it's helpful for me to learn from someone else to understand, well, how did you get to your perspective? So, but when we're talking with outsiders about the church, we want to be wise Right? So this means that if we have an issue with another person who's a believer, is it good for us to, to write a scathing post about them on Facebook or Twitter? Say no, somebody. Right? It's, it's not, that's not the place for us to, to work out our disgruntled views with other brothers and sisters. The place to do that is in a coffee shop or in someone's living room is to be able to work through and say, I'm trying to understand how you can come to this position because I don't see it in the Bible. And we do that one-on-one. But we all want to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. Why? Because if we're arguing inside the church in a public way, what are we saying to the world around us? 
What, what are we communicating to people who don't know Jesus? Well, if that's what following Jesus looks like. He seems like a really good guy, but the people who follow him, they're jerks. And doesn't that's what, isn't that what it leads to? Right, so we've all seen an awards show where the guy who has his artwork, whatever kind, is based on sex and violence and, and drug abuse say, I just want to thank God for this award. All right. Are we seeing the, the, the politician who says, I'm a Christian and this is a Christian nation, and yet their policies and attitudes toward the least of these are absent? There's no concern or care for the brokenhearted, for the poor, the orphan, the widow, or the stranger. And yet both of these people in some way are identifying themselves with God, right? And we can see that on the extreme edges of hypocrisy. But what happens when, when we argue or we act in an unchristian way? Right? Now, look. We're all going to do that, right? Because we're all full of sin and, and we're broken. And there are sins that we have that we don't even know we have. But when God reveals those things to us through his word, then our response is in humility to say, Lord, thank you for revealing this to me. And if I have hurt or offended someone because of the way I've held this view, this wrong view, let me go to that person and say, you know what, I've just realized that the way I've been handling this issue in our relationship at work has not been faithful. And so I want to apologize to you, and I've already gone and, and asked God for forgiveness. And what does that show? It shows repentance, which is the, one of the greatest gifts that we have as followers of Jesus. Or we could even say, you know, look, I've been understanding this issue in our community that our city is facing in a way that's not consistent with Scripture. And God has revealed that to me. And so I want to say now that I believe that God would have us to do this. But I'm willing to hear your point of view and to understand what you're saying. What would that do in our community? Because, man, I've just seen in the last 10 years, especially because of social media, the bickering and the anger and the resentment on Christian Twitter or Facebook feeds, is, it's embarrassing. And that's not to say that I haven't gotten in there one time and said, oh, I've got something to say to you. Mm. Uh, I better delete that one. Hope that one didn't get recorded because you get your ire stirred up. I understand that feeling. But Paul is saying, be wise. N notice that he, he, he's not saying, look at what has happened in Coloss, right? This is terrible what's happened. I'm a citizen of Rome and they're ruining the country. We got to get it back to the way it was before. Paul is not saying, own the libs. He's not trying to cancel anybody either. He's giving everybody the dignity to make their case and to say, you're a person who's been made in the image of God. And yet I also do want to present this exclusive way of flourishing that only comes to the person of Jesus Christ. Right? Paul is able to do that in a beautiful way because what is he focused on? He's focused on the gospel. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about the policies that we care about. But we need to recognize that there are different views of Christian of, of flourishing in a society. And even people who are followers of Jesus can hold to different views of what flourishing looks like. But our goal ultimately is not to pass laws or to get people elected. Our goal ultimately is to see people come to Jesus. 
Because when they come to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit will work in their heart to bring flourishing to the world. And that may happen in a way that we disagree with. But it's the word of God. It's the grace of God that begins to work in someone's life. Later on in the, in the letter to Coloss, uh, the letter of Colossians, he says, Tychicus is coming to encourage you with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. And what's fascinating is uh, Onesimus is actually a slave. And he's the subject of a later uh, letter to Philemon, who is the owner of Onesimus. And, and what Paul is saying is not, slavery is a scourge on our, on our society. Let's all sign a petition to get rid of it and do a political march on Rome to stop it. What he says is, treat Onesimus as a brother. When you see this person that you've seen your whole life as less than you, as a brother, that elevates their status in your view. You can't see him as somebody who's just different from you, from another country, who speaks a different language, that doesn't get your culture. When you see Onesimus as your brother, it raises his value in your life. Now, what does that lead to? Well, it led to the end of slavery in most of the world. It took a long time. But it was followers of Jesus who brought about that change. Now, there's still a lot of slavery that exists in the world today. But when people's hearts are changed by the gospel, and we're being wise in the way that we act toward outsiders, then Jesus is glorified. Just listening and understanding and asking Jesus to, to become larger in your heart and in your life is what makes this happen. Because we can see here at the end of the letter, he's saying, he's given us these commands, right? Be, uh, be devoted, be bold, and, uh, and be wise. Those are commands that Jesus, or that Paul has given to us. But where do those commands come from, right? If you look at the first chapter of Colossians, Paul has shared this amazing poem. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For all things were created by him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is the head of the body, the church. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the preeminence. See, the reason why we are called to do these things is a response to who Jesus is. He's this glorious and amazing king. And when we see him as that, that he's come to be with us, then we think, you know what? I was far from God. I was distant from God. I, I, I wasn't perfect, and yet God came and entered into time and space to love and embrace me. So then when I see someone who is far from God, who is acting in an unchristian way, they're only operating about what they know. And if they knew Jesus, they might begin to operate in a different way. And they're far from God, just like I was far from God. And so the answer is not to fix the problem, then to get them to do something different, but it's to show them Jesus. It's to engage them in a casual conversation. It's to engage them in a meaningful conversation. It's to engage them in a spiritual conversation to see if they're open see if the word of God would, would touch their hearts. And there's a lot of people out there. And at different points in different people's lives, sometimes they're open, sometimes they're not. 
But brothers and sisters, the, the way to reach this world and to change the society and the, and the culture is for each one of us to look around our lives, to think through who in my family, who in my workplace, who in my neighbors can I be praying for that God would give me, give me an open door to share with them the message of the gospel and to proclaim it clearly as I should. He said clearly, not perfectly. I'm just being willing. You know, obedience is success. Simply saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to share. I've been praying, and I'm going to open my mouth. And if someone says no thanks, or even worse, just go to the next person. Just keep on going. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.